You learn to sit like that more? Getting <laughs> It's a long story. It goes, goes back a long, long ways there. Good evening, everyone. Nice, nice to be with you again. Festival going well, huh? Everybody had a good time? Good. So, uh, just informally, we'll open the floor for any questions tonight. Are there any questions? Welcome. Nate, I assume, and your good wife, Brandy. Brandy? Nice to have you here. It's a little uh, culturally powerful <laughs> overload, perhaps, but uh, nice, nice to have you. We appreciate your visit. Colorful sounds, scents, and so forth. So, yes, questions. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, these days there's a lot of discussion about a person can choose their own sex, right? Whatever they, how do they say it? Self-identify, right? You know about that? <laughs> I, anyway, of course, there's a lot of there's a lot of news about uh, you know people trying to change their sex and so on like that. And of course, the the, the physical body is based on the mind. Right? It's a manifestation of the mind. That's we look at it like that, yes. Uh, so even if one undergoes a sex change operation, they still have the mind of the sex they were originally with. So they can't really become the opposite. Now, but how does it happen, say, in the changing lives, okay? Male and first life, then female, or vice versa. Because we don't change the mind, right? We, we leave the physical body at death, but we, the mind goes with us. But then when we take another species of life, there's, there's a mind that's, the mind is somehow or other intimately connected with that species of life. So if one either changes sex or it changes species, the mind has to be fundamentally different. So you want me to talk about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to understand how the change of mind occurs. Well, people do change their minds. <laughs> uh, that's for sure. Well, of course, the idea that you're referring to is the idea in Vedanta that there is a physical manifestation of matter and there's a psychic dimension of matter. I mean, we've talked about this many times. This is an idea that for some time uh, in the scientific community, largely uh, from a materialistic perspective, um, uh, an idea that's not very well uh, appreciated um, and that's unfortunate because when we try to reduce, if you will, the mind to the brain and say or posit that there is no such thing as a mind, it's really only a brain, it's something that goes on in the brain, it's entirely rooted in the physical and so forth, um, it's... Uh, this is a uh, naturalism, you might call it, or physicalism, materialism, basically. It's not a scientifically uh, supported position, but science, after all, just collects data, and then we interpret it in different ways. So there's different ways to interpret the data. Some interpret the data in such a way as to posit um, that, again, the mind is just the brain. And... Um, 
that is a philosophical, based on interpretation of scientific data, conjecture. It's not something that's demonstrable. It's the kind of missing link to uh, uh, physicalism, to, to, to proving through observation that there's nothing really, rea- reality consists only of physical forces, which would mean all the, the apples aren't really red and um, roses don't really smell uh, sweet as they, as they do and so forth. All these qualitative experiences, happiness, sadness, sense, sights, sounds, and so forth, somehow they're all really f- physical. It's, it's just something in... in, in, in uh, it's a, well, to, even to talk about it, it's very difficult. So it's a problem for, for modern science in the sector of modern science, which is the majority sector, where they're trying to demonstrate this. There's reasons why they try to demonstrate this, of course, because they've gotten many pragmatic results from working with physical uh, matter and trying to understand it, and based on an understanding of it, making an experiment, getting some data, getting a result, putting it in the hands of a technician, and boom, there's medicine, or, uh, you know, we don't need the shaman anymore, it's thought, or or whatever, their, their cell phones and so forth. So this must be the, the truth of the matter. But it's a very narrow um, perspective. And um, so, opposed to that, we, as Vedantas, we posit that there is something called psychic matter. Um, and there are people in the scientific community that also have, have concluded that this idea... <laughs> of reducing the mind to the brain, it's not happening. We, we're not able to do it. There is something called a mind. So let's just call it another department of matter, and there you go. Now we have to explore the laws that govern this mental, psychic matter, and so on and so forth. Um, but there's a huge reluctance to do this because it would involve potentially believing in ghosts and... Uh, all kinds of things. I mean, what kind of things go on in your mind <laughs> and can happen there, we don't want to talk about it, right, <laughs> are very different and multidimensional in comparison to what happens in the physical um, realm. And, uh, you know, when you, when you think you've kind of got a handle on reality and it's matter and it works like this, to open the door to another compartment of matter that you don't know anything about, and that those who have talked about it for centuries in ancient traditions and so forth have posited all kinds of, well, whatever goes on in your mind can, goes on. There's something called mind stuff, if you will, and it's, it's, it's pretty um, different, although matter different than, than physical matter. It's kind of, um, it's, it's, we would call it quasi-subjective. Quasi-subjective because we feel, according to Vedanta, that there's something entirely different from matter, both its psychic and physical dimensions, and that's called consciousness. And when we say consciousness, we don't mean just awareness of something. Awareness of something is an aspect of consciousness, just like illumination of things that are dark is an aspect of light. The light is luminous in and of itself, and it illuminates other objects. Hmm? We often think of consciousness as that which illuminates other objects. That's an aspect of consciousness from the 
point of view of our school of Vedanta. But beyond that, consciousness is, 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 is if you will, uh, luminosity itself. It's a, it's a knowing something. Hmm? It's not like matter, which is inert, unknowing. Hmm? It's knowing. And unlike matter, which is constantly undergoing transformation, it doesn't undergo transformation, like birth, death. Being ontologically different from both psychic and physical matter, it is not under the jurisdiction of time and space. So it has no beginning. Hmm? It has it has it has no end. Hmm? It's eternal. Hmm? Eternal. Now think about that word for a minute. It's eternal. It has no beginning. You just have to kind of let that go around in your ear and around inside your head a little bit. And then hopefully it goes down into your heart. That sounds good. Eternal. It has no beginning. It has no end. The Hindu perspective on time is, is cyclical. Hmm? Goes round and round, and there's a there's a there's there's something to that in modern Western society. Well, not so much modern, well, but with the scientific revolution and Christianity, really, the ancient world that thought of time as cyclical hmm, was thought of as linear. Hmm. Linear time is a huge problem for the mind because you can't answer the question: which came first, the seed or the tree? Hmm? You have to keep going back, and there's a seed, and there's a tree, and there's a seed, and there's a tree, and there's a seed, and there's a tree. And there's a seed, and there's a tree. Hmm? Of course, if you say linear time began at a certain time, well, you got to find that time. And <laughs> but in cyclical time or circular, well, cyclical time, then you you know the answer: which came first, the tree or the seed? You can answer it: neither one. Hmm? Do you understand? Neither one. The circle. A line is random. A circle has purpose, and it completes it, and so forth. So there's a very soothing um, side to this cyclical idea of time that the ancients lived within, and it's an idea of time that is is also coming again to the fore in modern um, modern science. There are a number of people positing the idea that that worlds, for example, universes expand and contract in endless cycles with no beginning and so on and so forth. This is what the Hindus have said for ages. So the Hindus have talked, among others as well, mystics in different traditions, about a psychic realm, right, of of matter and beyond it as well, something. Hmm? And what they posit can go on in the psychic realm is something that makes people who feel that We've got control of things. You know, there's 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 electromagnetism. There's gravity. There's strong and weak nuclear forces. We got it figured out. Um, uncomfortable. Hmm? The whole thing's up for grabs again. There's psychic matter. It, how does it work? And and, and are we going to turn to these people who posit ghosts and all types of beings and goddesses and gods and and so forth. So you might. They're peaceful people. <laughs> they tend to be nice people. You might want to do that. But, <laughs> but beyond that, anyway, of course, 
the idea is that there's consciousness, as I'm saying. It has no beginning, has no end. It's sat. It's, it's not constricted by time and by space. It's chit. So it's cognizant. It's not inert, like, like matter. Hmm? Hmm? And when it touches matter, it touches the subtle matter. And then the subtle matter takes on a quasi-subjective nature. Hmm? Unfortunately, it's all the thoughts and feelings are in relation to physical matter, hmm? which makes them a little, a little dead, if you will. So the trick is, in Vedanta and yoga, is to take that psychic dimension, the whole realm of the mind, hmm? and turn it towards the spiritual. Udharatmanam, atmanam abhasadayat. Atmaivaripuratmana, Krishna says in Gita, the mind is the friend of the yogi and the enemy as well. Hmm? If you can, you can train the self, can train the mind hmm? to, uh, with spiritually fortified intelligence, to turn our thoughts away from things. Hmm? As we say, the best things in life are not things. Hmm? It's you. You're not a thing. And there's a way of thinking about that, thinking about something that's not a thing. Hmm? And it ends thinking. And it re- results in knowing that you could not arrive at by thinking. That's a very fascinating idea because we think we, we know by, by thinking. We can know theoretically enough to turn our mind away from things and in the direction of the self through focusing the mind on the trans-rational, not irrational, but trans-rational practices, hmm? kind of inverse practices of going within the less is more idea, to give the Zen term. Hmm? And, and then, as a result of that practice, not thinking about the practice, but the thinking that compels us to do the practice, as a result of the practice, we get experience hmm, of this. Of, uh, this is the beginning experience. People want to know what's eternal. I mean, what's spiritual? I can tell you, the, the first experience of what's the, what what is spiritual. When you experience, I'm eternal. I, I don't know how you you know can describe that, but you have to experience it. Hmm? By deep spiritual practice, you can experience, I'm eternal. There's a kind of knowing. It's not a knowing of everything, but it is. It's a knowing that makes everything not worth knowing. Hmm? It's a knowing about the nature of the self, a kind of an, an, a satisfying knowing that you can sit. Uh, because why we move? Because we think if we don't, we may not exist. Mm-hmm. Someone will eat us. <laughs> hmm? Just as we are eating someone else. Hmm? Such is the world. So... Hunters and the hunted, huh? to rest from that and sit and know that I be, that I am, hmm? and that can never change. Hmm? And cognizant and with a capacity to love. Such it, ananda. Hmm? Nice ideas. So, we are asked then, just to give that background, <laughs> we are asked about the idea of the mind, and reincarnation is brought up in the context of the question. The theory of reincarnation includes the idea 
that the, this atma, this unit of consciousness that we are, hmm? the I am that we are, when we are, I am not this or that, as I often say, but, but I am, that's for sure. Hmm? This or that changes. I might think I'm this, I might think I'm that. I might think I'm this again. I might think I'm that again. Hmm? That all changes, but that I am doesn't change. That should be focused on. Hmm? So, um, that I, that mm, capital letter, I guess it's always capitalized in the language, in English anyway, that capital letter I, hmm, that's, that's compared to the small me. Hmm? I is bigger than me, and that's the way we're talking about it. Me means me and mine, you can say here, as I'm speaking about. I means this higher self, right? This higher self, it, it is, as I said, that it is that higher self that touches the psychic matter that then makes the world go around, which is what feelings do. We can say the world is moving on the basis of gravity and electromagnetic force, but it's really running on, on the feelings of ourself. And those forces are there too, but they're not the only forces in life. One may wonder, as an aside, okay, fine, Swami, consciousness, this ethereal being, knowing, and loving uh, self, how does it touch the mind? If we say, okay, mind is also matter, so, okay, we've done away with the mind-brain problem because they're both different types of matter, so somehow they, they connect. But now you're talking about something that's not matter. How does it touch the mind and make the whole thing go and so forth. Well, there's a, there's a there's a problem with the very thinking in that question, because you're thinking, like people did prior to Newton's discovery of gravity, gravity, that things move only by physical contact. If one object touches another, then there'll be motion. And he wondered, well, what touched that apple that fell from the tree? So he posited a, a, a mystical force called gravity. This was at a time when the Western civilization was coming out of the occult world of all kinds of forces and, and so forth and dismissing all types of superstitions and whatnot. So when Newton posited gravity, his contemporaries started to think, he's going back to the occult. What's wrong with this guy? Hmm? Gradually, though, however... By, I guess by math, he could demonstrate the, the gravity, and so it was just kind of subsumed and incorporated in, and okay, there's gravity. <laughs> Let's not talk about it too much. You know. so, recently, they had some discoveries with regard to gravity, which were interesting. I forget exactly what they were, but at any rate, uh, a mystical force, gravity. So you're, in other words, things move, objects move, without necessarily having physical contact. So, um, of course, gravity is a physical force, so physicalism starts to include, materialism starts to include material forces, and it becomes more subtle what matter is, and and so on. It becomes more mystical as you look at it, and and that's hard, hard to avoid. At any rate, the question, how, how is it that consciousness touches matter, it, it betrays an understandably lack of understanding of what consciousness is and what its powers and abilities are and so on and so forth. Hmm? 
And um, we leave it at that. Um, but the question is, it includes the, uh, 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 part of the question includes this idea of reincarnation. What happens in reincarnation, the theory is, is that this self, this atma, that's asleep to itself, hmm? again, it's, it's, it's touched the physical matter, and this is turned on, or psychic matter, and that's generated the physical matter, and the world's going around. And it's something like when someone turns on, say, the television. Now, what is the television without the viewer? It's nothing, right? You have to have someone turn the thing on. But the problem often is, unfortunately, that people turn the television on, and then the television turns them on. <laughs> it takes over their life. It happens. Someone has to pull you away from the television, or you have to pull your kids away from the virtual reality of the computer game world. There's a life out here, you know. Pinch them, you know. See, you can actually feel that. There's a real world out here. Hmm? So, similarly, this spark of consciousness that we are, although it has the power to turn on matter, aparayamitastanyam prakritim vidimeparam jivabhutamahabhavyayedam, we're sustaining the world. Still, we're small, and we have the capacity, like a spark of a fire, has the capacity to be obscured by the smoke. So the show of matter obscures the light of the spark, and it's unaware of its of itself. Just like if you're plugged into a virtual reality and you don't you don't know it, you think you're wherever in a, in, a, in a paradise, and you're and you're sitting on your couch, and it's snowing outside or something. You know. So um, something like that. So. When the death of the physical body comes, this, this psychic dimension of matter, it's more subtle. It's less subject, we can say, to transformation than the physical matter. Mm-hmm. The more we go on a hierarchy from sense objects to the senses, to the mind, to the intelligence, this matter is becoming more and more subtle. The more subtle it becomes, the more it becomes quasi-like consciousness, which is not subject to transformation. So, um, so the subtle body remains, if you will, psychic body, intact, and this is the vehicle through which, at reincarnation, someone starts again in another body. Who's who will I be? No, it's not like that. You're not going to become somebody else. But matter, physical matter, is constantly in flux. What's making it in flux is our desires. And so if you remain with material desires, then physical forms will form around you and will transform and ashes to ashes, whatever, dust to dust, and another another form will come and so on and so forth. So that's what's going on. I mean, it's happening all the time in the sense that all of the cells of our body are changing all the time. And and so the physical matter is, is constantly in flux. So death is just another... Change, but we we are a, 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 a self that's identified with a particular transformation of the body, and that's not going to remain. So death is a problem because we become attached to it, and we thought we think it's ourself, and so forth. So when you have these out of body uh, experiences, or what were they called, the um, hmm? near death experience, the near death experience, they're often reported as well. The, the the brain stops, but this person was actually a witness 
of things that were going on in the room. So the doctor was saying, oh, he's dead, and everybody's weeping, and this self is observing the whole thing. Hmm? So what is this self that's observing? It's not the atma itself, but it's the psychic body. Hmm? Therefore, it still thinks of itself as itself, as its small me, self. And these are my friends, this is my family, this is my body, and, and, and so forth. The reports that come, you can understand, that, 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 as you're saying, the mental psychic dimension where this sense of identity arises, hmm? false sense of identity, hmm? is preserved even with the demise of the physical body. So this reporting goes on. And, and of course, it's, it's evidence, from our perspective, of this um, psychic dimension of matter. And so, in that psychic mental body, that, that self that's, that's, that arises there, um, out of identification with, of consciousness with subtle matter, that self takes another body. Now, what body it takes is determined by the, by the karma, right? Hmm? And um, it could be quite a different body. Hmm? Um, and, and, and so there's some kind of adjustment in the subtle hmm, um, uh, realm so that you can fit into that body <laughs> and, uh, and proceed. So I guess the question, to get to it here is, is that, um, that, well, the body you can change, but the mind remains the same, and the, the body kind of comes out of the mind. So if you don't change the mind, how can really, in the example being asked about, change your sex, you could change your physical sex, but you've got the same mind. Hmm? But I don't think that it's that's, uh, so accurate a way um, to, to look at it. Again, I mean, in common English parlance, we know that we do change our minds. And, uh, and there's, this, this, there's, there's this correlation, not causation, but there is a correlation between mind and brain. When we look at the correlates between mind and brain, like if I touch here in the brain, this goes on in the mind. Some people conclude, therefore, brain is mind. Mind is brain, see? Mind is just a brain. But the saying is, of course, that causation and correlation are two different things. It could work the other way around. Hmm? Because you see, therefore the brain is a mind. As much as you could say, see, the, the mind is a brain. Hmm? It's a given in Vedanta that there's going to be a correlation between the neural firings in the brain and, and the mind. That's a given. It's like a hand on a, a glove on a hand, something like that. So if you move the fingers, then the glove moves, something like that. But again, correlation and causation are two different things. Hmm? So, so brain is not mind, mind is not brain. Uh, and um, nonetheless, there's this correlation between the two. So there, there's ways in which you can change the physical that will result in a change of mind. And there's ways in which you can change your mind and change the physical also. Hmm? The old simple English saying, you know, mind o- o- over matter and so forth, right? Hmm? And really, we, 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 in effect, we, we do that. Hmm? 
Um, so that's one thing um, uh, in relation to your to your question. Um, another thing is that um, that it would be part of the karma hmm, of the of the self to take birth with such. Uh, Desires, let's say, to take birth in a male body with a, with female uh, desires, or I would imagine that the body, in such cases of say a male body, nonetheless has some hormones in it that there's there's some that it, that are not entirely they're out of balance and compared to the typical if there is such a thing, male, hmm? and so it's a complex um, issue. And um, it, 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 in one sense, it was answered by my Guru Marsh many years ago, whose birthday we were celebrating today, when um, there's a lady in San Francisco who many, many, many years ago um, was, uh, got involved in, uh, in, in our tradition to some extent and had a sex change. This was like, I think like 30 years ago, so it's a long it's a long time. It's become more. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, so it was. I mean, before, like, it was in the seventies, hmm? and it wasn't as popular of, a, of an idea then. At, at any rate, she wrote to Prabhupada, and you probably know the answer. And Prabhupada said, "Pick one and stick with it. Hmm? <laughs> pick one. You want to be a man, a woman? Pick one and stick with it." So I, I, I <laughs> he was he was not fond of all the things he felt. Yeah. They were going back and forth. And Prabhupada said, he was asking, he, she was asking Prabhupada, what should I do? And he just said, pick one. And stick, stick with it. <laughs> so he picked she, and I know her. Hmm. Um, uh, she used to visit me years ago in, in San Francisco. So, uh, <laughs> so um, uh, he was, characteristically, he, was, he thought, Americans always want to change everything. There wasn't a change, change, change the room. Change, I'm doing it now, changing my interior up there in my cabin. So, but uh, so he, he was not as predisposed towards that. He was real concerned that they would change the philosophy in his absence and so forth and so on. So he wanted to write it all down, um, and still they try to change it. Right? <laughs> Some people try to change the books even even, even now. So. But anyway, this was his answer. So it would seem from his answer that he accepted the idea that it's possible. I mean, obviously, what happens when, when, it, when it, the sex changes that there are that the physical, I guess, get certain hormones and and so forth. And again, um, this has the power to, on some level, to to change the mind. There's a correlation between the brain and the mind. I mean, you can you can press some place in the brain, and your mind will stop. You know, functioning, right? Hmm? Or it'll do something else, right? And that correlation is so extraordinary that again, people are, l- jump to the conclusion that see that there is no thing as a mind; it's it's really all in the brain. But what's the problem is with that idea is there's something else that's going on, so-called in the brain, which is this sense of I am, and then the qualitative experiences. Of happiness, sadness, of red, blue, and so forth, and like 
they can't find that. Hmm? They can't find the neuron or whatever that 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 is the that produces this I am and all these qualitative experiences that that don't fit in a world that's supposed to be only physical. Hmm? So you know what I've talked about this at, at length at other other times. It's the basic idea. So at any rate, I think that um, that because of the correlation, it's quite possible to change physically, which includes a brain. Hmm? Um, as part of the physical apparatus, and as a result, change the mind. Hmm? And conversely, as I say, it's quite possible to change the physical by the mind. And that re- that's a different art, if you will. You can't just inject some hormones in for that one, but you, you have to strengthen the mind and, and you know, there are practices by which you... You 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 get kind of kind of harness the power of the mind, if you, if you will, which is kind of going in a lot of different directions, uh, often. So I think it is possible to change the mind, hmm? to some extent. We do it all the time, but and and um, and um, I mean, what uh, I mean, I think I agree with the idea. Pick one and stick with it, which is pretty much what most people do. But the fact that there are there's gender identity questions and so on and forth, so forth, materially speaking, that arise is um, uh, I don't know. It seems like more of a modern phenomenon, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's been around forever and it's just recognized more now. And um, after all, I mean, everybody uh, struggles with who I am sexually at, at some point in their life. Um, it, it happens pretty naturally for most, well, for everybody, I guess, in one sense, but not everybody fits into the, into the, the, the normal picture. The question is, what's, what's normal? Are there, within the normal, normal um, exceptions? Hmm? Like my guru, Marsh, he, he, he said once, well, that in the animal society... There's there's there is no homosexuality, so seems like it's abnormal. Of course, now we know that there is homosexuality within the animal society. So this is again, I mean, knowing everything doesn't mean knowing everything. Hmm? Knowing everything means knowing what I am, hmm? and that everything may not need to be known. And I might get some information and go, oh, based on that information, I repeat it and so forth. But I had experience of my Guru Maharaj making a point and then b- based on information that he had heard and then being informed by me and, and others at the time that actually that wasn't accurate. And they said, oh, okay, well then we changed. I mean, he's a reasonable person. Hmm? But we operate, so, so, so to speak, at times by the ease of taking information from others rather than we can't go sort it all out our, ourselves. But if we find out that the information was faulty, then we, 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 we adjust our position, naturally. Any reasonable person would do that. And as I said the other night, knowledge about the world, the material world, is it's unlimited. Hmm. What would speak? It's always changing. Now you can say there's certain laws that never change, but I mean, you don't know that. You can prove that two and two is not four. And you can prove that two and two is four. So what about that? Um, just to give an example, so, so, 
Um, point being that some kids, let's take it, you know, there's, there's, there's um, 11 kids on the football team, hmm, and they don't like girls, hmm, because girls can't play football. So, they, you know, so they're whatever. They're, they're thinking like that. So they're, they're playing, they play soccer, but not football. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm just giving an example. So, so then suddenly, you know, next year on the team, hmm, there's cheerleaders on the, on, the, on the sideline. And that guy that was just focused on throwing the ball is... <laughs> finds he's got another another focus and and suddenly girls are more important than football hmm? and the whole team starts to swing in that direction <laughs> hmm? but there's one guy on the team that doesn't feel that way hmm? they're all just reaching puberty this is what happens they're just reaching puberty and one guy doesn't feel it. Was he told not to feel that way? Hmm? Was he programmed not to feel that way? If you can say that his his feeling was, hey, why don't we just play ball and uh, and uh, and buddy up, you know? <laughs> After the game, you know. <laughs> and and it feel it feels to him exactly like the guys are feeling towards the girls. No different whatsoever. How powerful is that feeling? The pe- feeling is so powerful that, you know, I think I'm going to skip the practice and the game too because she wants me to do this or that. <laughs> and it's a, such a powerful, and we all have the experience, the, the, the power of this. So his one guy on the team, he just feels differently about it. Now you can say is it, that, well, it's really, if we really look deeply at it, it it's got to be his choice. Okay. It's his choice unconsciously because of how he was brought up. And so what, what the difference does it make then? If it's an unconscious choice, then you can't be blamed for a choice or you, you can't be, you know, you, so it's, is it a choice or is it, an, it, is it, is it genetic, let's say? It's karmic. Now, how do we deal with karma? How do we deal with, what, what is the... For example, let's let's take the sexual urge. It's so such a prominent thing in society, right? In human life, in all species of life, and everybody in human society agrees that it needs to be regulated at some level. You don't just go jump on a guy at the mall. <laughs> you know, you get arrested for that. You know, so on some level, everybody agrees it needs to be harnessed, regulated, regulated, or something, and. In some way, so everybody draws the line differently based on their perspective, what their ideal in life is, and so forth. So in yoga, there's there's the virtues of of abstinence and so forth are, are often um, um, presented and so forth. Um, you have to have the mindset of yogi, what you want, and so forth, to identify with that, obviously. And in the power, if you will, of bhakti yoga. Whereas Astanga Yoga says, to practice you have to be celibate. Hmm? It's a yama or a niyama of, what is it? It's a yama. It's a yama of Astanga Yoga. In the Gyan Marg or Gyan Yoga, it's also a limb of, of, of that type of yoga, brahmacharya, hmm? celibacy. It's not a limb of bhakti. Hmm? That is the power of bhakti. 
that that one can remain in a in a a, 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 a relationship that includes intimacy and transcend it hmm? at the same time with the power of bhakti takes some time and so forth but it's the power of bhakti that amongst the different types of yoga it's the one type that doesn't include as one of it, the limbs of its body the body of the practice celibacy now some bhakti yogins are celibates they choose that course and they're psychologically suited for that they feel comfortable with that and so on and so forth others choose the you know to have a significant partner and proceed along the path in that way and you know both are noble and we find great saints coming from both sides of the you know of the, of the, of the divide hmm? I mean speaking as a celibate there are some advantages I would say <laughs> but you know not if you're not psychologically suited for it then you're going to be you know like a like a square inside of a round hole there and you know not feel very comfortable and not be able to proceed along the lines of your practice. That's well. So, so, uh, so there's a way in which the teacher, uh, and it may be uniform or it may be individual to individual with regard to the students, um, uh, suggests or even mandates that you should harness it in this way. You should harness it in that way. Some may say it should be inside of a, a, a committed marital relationship. That's a beautiful thing. Hmm? Um, and those commitments are are powerful and um, they, they give more meaning to the intimacy. Hmm? And they harness it in a way that's, it's, 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 it's reasonable. Hmm? Um, and some will take it further for the sake of only for, of progeny. My groomer said it both ways. Hmm? Yeah. They should harness it only for only for getting children, or only within a committed marital relationship. So, what do you do with the guy on the team? You know, who is uh, is is starts to feel differently? Is, is it his fault or what? What are you supposed to tell somebody like that? Hmm? Um, in this case, uh, uh, with, a, with a homosexual, you know, tendency and so forth, that how can you expect such a person hmm, to, let's say, as some people might mandate, abstain? Just think about it. If you're heterosexual from your heterosexual perspective, how, how is it? How are you going to tell? Don't look at the cheerleaders. I mean, is that realistic? Hmm? If you're supposed to tell every other other ten guys on the team, no cheerleaders for the rest of your life. Hmm? I just started to feel like, hey, they're pretty cool. Nope, you've got to be celibate your whole life. I mean, is that realistic? No, it's not. Is it a requirement within bhakti to be celibate? No, it's not. Is there an idea within bhakti that the senses should be curbed and controlled and so forth? Certainly, that's yoga. And then the art of how to do that is determined by regulating in such a way that you get a positive result. Like my Guru Maharaj said, in, he wrote in his commentary, uh, summary of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, that, that one should accept a vow with regard to practice that one can follow. Hmm? 
Because if we accept the vow that we cannot follow, then hmm, we're in worse shape than then we, if we didn't, didn't uh, be then before when we have a vow in the practice, arguably. Hmm? And so he said, in our society, you know, we've, we, we've determined that, as he did, that he wanted his disciples to chant on his bead, their beads two hours a day and so forth and so on, fix that up. First he had said to them, they should chant for eight hours a day. They said, we don't think we can do that. He said, okay, we'll make it four. And they said, I'm not sure we can do that too. And they, they kind of negotiated with him, really. And, and, and uh, he said, well, two, two. Okay. And that pretty much stuck. And then he tried to push on that and, and, and have his disciples make that commitment. So Now, in time, if you will, after, for example, his passing, and a, you have a successor or successors and so forth, they have to have the liberty, the same liberty that the predecessor, previous Acharya Guru did, to make time and place determinations about how to present the principle. Hmm? Hmm? And so, you know, times are very different now than they were in 1977. I mean, it, 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 the time difference between 1977, when he departed from the world, and 2016 is like the time difference between 1900 and 2000, you know, or 1800 and 2000, because as you know, with technology and so forth, the, the world's speeding up and changing at a, at a much rapider pace. And I cited an example of a of a person who felt the need for a sex change in 1977. Now it's you know it's it's like becoming a main, mainstream you know possibility and, and so forth and and uh, um, and so on. So you have to, I think, the the the, this, the position of the the teacher, the guru, is, is to look at the principle and see how to adjust and compassionately deal with the with the reality hmm, of persons who in whom you have been able to awaken faith in bhakti in the tradition and so forth, and then see how to how to get them in, 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 involved in a way that's progressive. Hmm? And so, if if someone, for example, is uh, You've created interests, and they're um, liking the association, identifying with the philosophy. And then I always ask the students about their material life, because I know that their material life is going to determine something about their ability to pursue their spiritual life. So if they don't have a job, they don't have a boyfriend, and they're looking for a girlfriend or whatever, then I know, well, okay, you know, things could change in your life. You know, dramatically, you could get a job and move to Siberia, and 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 marry a Russian girl and and uh, fall in love with her, and she might not be at all interested in spiritual life, and you know it might be a problem, and your spiritual life might might go out the window, and so forth. So, so you you want to know what their material situation, how much is in balance it is, and so forth. You might want to give the mantra at a time when there's still, you know, there's a lot of flux and so forth and, and, and so on. So these kind of determinations, each teacher has to be able to make. That's the whole hallmark of being a teacher. You have to know what the, what the subject is and then how to create teachable moments and present it and adjust and, and, and be able to digest whatever um, adjustments in re- with regard to details that you choose to make. 
in order to deliver the principle. Hmm? Because if the student then that you vouch for, so to speak, ends up doing something else, well, that's not very good. That's not good for you. Hmm? You have to have the power to, di- to digest that, hmm? the power of your own bhakti, that you can digest that. Hmm? So it's, there's some risk involved there well, to, to do that. Hmm? Um, my guru used to say, oh, you know, that's my only fault. I've initiated too many unqualified people hmm? who've shown themselves to be unqualified. I have to digest that. Hmm? So he could digest that. Hmm? But uh, some of them might be consumed by that also. It's possible. So, dynamic. So what do you do with the guy, you know? Or the or the gal says, I'm really interested in the teaching. And I ask, okay, so what's your situation? Are you in a relationship? Well, a kind of. I mean, I kind of like. Are you married? Uh, got a girlfriend? What's a? What, do you have a job? Um, well, I got a job, but you know, uh, I'm like uncomfortable in my body. I'm like born as a male. I feel like. So, what problems have I? I would say probably pick one, and stick with it, and let's go from there. Hmm? And. Bhakti has the power to override all these anomalies and, and, and whatnot. I mean, you look at, there's an example um, in, the, in, 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 the, uh, in the lore and the text and so forth of Narada, Narada Muni, the traveling spaceman, you know, <laughs> teacher. And he met a hunter. And the hunter was killing animals and he was killing them halfway, and 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 he liked watching them struggle. I mean, it's deplorable, and so Nard was pretty repulsed by it. Um, but the hunter nevertheless recognized uh, that Nard was a special person, and and so inquired from him and, and, and liked him and liked his association, what he was teaching, and wanted you know practice, and Nard said, well, here, here's the thing, it's like, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the mantra hmm, of like, Krishna Nam, Ram Nam, the name of, name of God to chant. Hmm, I'm going to whisper it in your ear. But my, um, the parameters that I want to you, you work within to uh, in, invoke the mantra uh, effectively is that I want you to kill them all the way. He says, because he said, I'm a hunter, what can I do? He first said, you know, you should stop killing. That's not good. He said, but I'm a hunter. That's what I am. My father was a hunter. His father's father was a hunter. In the olden times, of course, people didn't change that much, you know, uh, and so forth. So anyway, he was a hunter. He said, so he said, well, look, here's what I want. Kill him completely, okay, and chant the name. So he gave a, a regulative principle, kill him completely, and chant. Hmm. Sounds pretty. <laughs> so anyway, then he went away and he came back and, and when, then when he returned after some time, the hunter saw him and bowed down to him, but he stopped from bowing all the way because there were some ants on the ground and he was afraid that he would maybe kill an ant in the context of, in, in, of, of bending down. In other words, by the power of the name, Hmm? and the faith in the transmission of that from the teacher, hmm? he stopped killing, which was inconceivable to him previously because I'm a hunter. Hmm? 
he got another identity from the power of the name. So my Guru Maharaj said in the beginning in New York in 1966 when he came from India, he said, I gave out the name as an experiment to see what would happen with people. He used those words, to see what would happen. To these, he was like in a foreign land. He had come from India, he was like 70 years old. In, you know, he, in those days, we didn't have the internet to so what's going on in America, what it's like. You just get these rumors and stories and you're from India, you know, third world country. He came here. When he came to New York, he wrote back to some of his associates and said, this place is really different. He said, everybody has a car and everybody drives it. In other words, in India at that time, only rich people had a car and they had a driver. Hmm? Who would, who would be the, it's, everybody's got a car and everybody drives their own car. Weird. And at night, there are so many lights that, you know, the place is like day. I mean, compare it's like never dark. Where am I? <laughs> this is like, you know, well, how his, his, his experience was. And it was cold in the winters in New York, person from India. Hmm? In Vrindavan, where he'd come from, it borders the Rajasthani Desert. If you look in the Guinness Book of Records, you'll find the hottest temperatures in the world, right there, like 130 degrees sometimes in the summer. That is hot. I've been there. Maybe some of you have. It's a hot, hot time. As soon as you get out of the cold shower, you're perspiring again. Hmm? So, uh, and so, so to come to New York, New York winters, and he had no place to stay. Hmm? He had been invited by a couple in Philadelphia, but when he went there, he felt confined because he wanted to reach out to people. So he just went to the streets. And what was his vehicle? The chanting of his mantra. Hmm? Sat down in the park under a tree, chanted, and people came around and said, what's that about? What's going on? And some younger people who were kind of living on the streets, too, in those days. It was in the, uh, like in, in the village, New York, Greenwich Village area, more or less. And then, and then they, anyway, they began to take it up, rented the place for him and so forth. And here we are uh, today. And very, so he was a very flexible person. He was thinking how to do it. Hmm? He did come up with a certain formula that seemed to work, so he stuck with that. Hmm? It's our business as his successors to think, well, is the same formula working now? Is it a formula? For, is it those details for all times and circumstances? Or are those details? Indeed they are. As he himself said, well, I wanted them to chant eight rounds, eight hours a day. Then I took it to four. And so you should pick a vow that you can follow. Hmm? You know, this is the so principle over details. It's, a, it's important. Hmm? So again, and with regard to the Sex change. Just pick one. Stick with it. I mean, let's not make more out of it than we need to. Hmm? Everybody's got the urge, makes the world go around. We're all here because of it. So, hmm? and there's a positive side of that. We've got bodies and minds. So, we can practice and transcend them. <laughs> if we didn't have them, we, 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 we couldn't transcend them. So, so that's just my long answer to your question. <laughs> What's the time? 7.32. Okay. So, very nice to sit with you all. And um, I'm a 
bit tired. I think some of you may be as well. Uh, uh, This is a particular festival with the midnight um, part of it and fasting all day and so forth is is, uh, interesting, let's say. It can be a little taxing, but... uh, but tomorrow morning we'll have, as typically we do, the morning program at five in the morning, some uh, chanting here, reading, and then I'm going to make myself available to those of you who want to have a word with me before going elsewhere, if, if that may be the case, back to your homes. And those of you who stay here with me, well, we've got lots to do, you know. <laughs> so we'll carry, carry on. Tomorrow is the Ekadasi, it's on the eleventh day of the wag, waning moon. Hmm? Waning moon, there you go. Okay, you get to start your Ekadasi here. So, Ekadasi, uh, we don't need any grains. Hmm? That's another topic. So just leave with the, leave it with that, with the announcement. Ekadasi Brata Jai, Krishna Janamasthami Ki Jai. Avibhava Mamutsa Bhakti Swami